Good morning. Would you make sure that your phone is in the do not disturb position? Yeah. And uh, whether you are here in person or online, no matter who you are or where you are in your spiritual journey, uh, this one isn't on. You want them both on? I need this one. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to use this one. I'll give it to you. I'm not going to take it home, Tim. Well, I might. If I could get heard better. Thank you, Diane, for doing that. And that is just an interim report. We had hoped to meet as a group again um, during February, but that is not going to happen. Um, um, Ann Taylor has been not well. And so uh, she's one that's been working with Diane to do some stuff behind the scenes. But we'll do that um, maybe, I don't know, I need to clear that with um, Jeff about scheduling. I, I, I want to say um, a couple things um, from last Sunday. Um, but first of all, I want you to be aware that this afternoon at 4 o'clock, there will be a rendition of Mozart's Requiem done by um, the Combined Choirs of St. Paul's, the Chamber Orchestra, sponsored by the St. Paul's Music Society. Um, you've heard me go on and on and on about the choir and the music program at St. Paul's. And I, I'm, I'm saying to you that if you miss this, you're doing yourself a disfavor. I know it's not convenient to come back at 4 o'clock after you've been here and you go home and you come back. But 4 o'clock this afternoon, this is going to be a, a spectacular, wonderful, wonderful event. And um, I hope that you take advantage of it. Last year sometime, Helen Spa asked me if um, I would make this time available uh, at some time in this year for um, the wonderful world of religion, wondrous world of religion movie. Uh, it's going to be done by, uh, I mean, it will be hosted and narrated here next Sunday during, during this time. And our young people are involved in that, and there'll be a way to support and also a way to learn and also fits beautifully in with uh, the stuff that I have been talking about. So that's next Sunday, uh, here the first Sunday in, in March. And um, Calista alluded to this, but every Thursday at noon during Lent, there is an absolutely free top-notch musical performance uh, over in the sanctuary, and that's at noon uh, every Thursday during Lent. So I want to repeat a few words with which I began last Sunday, and um, that is that though the talks that I offer in here offer information and maybe too much of it, um, I think that information is vitally important. But that information is hopefully to lead to transformation. And so it's not just transferring data from teacher to student, but it's also to have an outcome. So what we're doing is important, I think, because our culture is suffering from depth perception. I mean, we, we, we don't live at the depths. We're deprived. We're surface, superficial, trivial culture. And, and so we can do our part to stand against that. So these times are designed to help us break through the illusion that our culture creates, that there's a division between sacred and secular, good and bad, that sort of thing. So I would like you, I know you already think that, like me, we all have this belief that we're where we should be, but I would like for us all to be open to the possibility that there's change yet for us to be experienced. Um, so I want you to be open to the just minor fact that being here could change your life. Could. So, so um, with that in mind,
I want us to take a bit to be silent and uh, just to be here. Take a deep breath. And may grace be in our heads and in our thinking. Grace be in our eyes and in our seeing. May grace be in our ears and in our hearing. May grace be in my mouth and in my speaking. May grace be in our hearts and in our understanding. And may grace be at our ends and at our departing. So today, we are going to begin with an experiment. And um, I want you, I'm going to invite you, Diane is going to come up and take a marker and be prepared to write something on the board. I want you to take a deep breath, close your eyes if it's helpful. I'm going to mention a word. And I want you to think of the first reaction you have when you hear this word. It may be an image. It may be a physical feeling. It may be an emotional feeling. It will be something. And whatever that reaction is, if you can say it in a word, I would like for you, if you're willing, then to hold up your hand, and I'm going to ask Diane to write the word down. If you have the same reaction that somebody else has, that's okay. Repetition is okay. Okay? You ready? Here's the word. Religion. Complicated. Complicated. Okay. Dogma. Dogma. Uh, can you write it down? Uh. Huh? Uh, there are two Uggs. Um, over here, I can't reach you. Tight. Tight? Tight. T-I-G-H-T. Tight. T-I-G-H-T. Somebody else? Philip? Serious. Serious. Anybody else? We got a lot here. Coherence. Coherence. Legalistic. Chaotic. Chaotic. One more, Leslie. Faith. Faith. Comforting. Comforting. One more. Rules. Rules. Okay. All right. There's one way up in the front, then we'll do another one. What did you say? Old. Help. Help. Help! Exclamation point. Sean. Hope. Okay. We got a bunch. I was going to have this on a word that'll pop up like that. Okay. One more. You ready for one more word? New word. Take a deep breath. <clears throat> now, again, there are no right, wrong answers to this. Just whatever comes to mind when you hear this word. Christian. What? 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 My dad. My dad. Wow. Divisive. Divisive. Identity. Identity. Judgment. Judgment. Christian right. Christian right. Jesus. Jesus. Label. 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 Misunderstood. Cross. The cross. What? Nationalism. Ben? 
Intolerant. Intolerant. Gone. Hmm? Gone. Gone. G-O-N-E. Okay, a couple more. Mystified. Hmm? Mystified. Mystified. Misdefined. Un misunderstood. Okay. What? Way of life. Way of life. Faith. Faith. Okay. What'd you say? Jesus groupie. Jesus weeping. I got it. You can see these. Thank you. You are very welcome. Now you can see the challenge that a teacher might have. Right? Uh, oh my gosh, I didn't see that. Hope I didn't knock that out of place. So last week we talked about um, spirituality, and that's easy because that's all spooky and not threatening. Uh, you talk about religion, it gets personal. And people have deep feelings about it. Nonetheless, let's talk about religion. Um, Years ago, when Dr. Jim Bankston invited me on the staff here, he asked me or said that I could have an office here. And I immediately declined for two primary reasons. I did not want to get involved in church politics or deal with the fact that so many people clergy included, when they start working for institutional religion, get so disillusioned when they find out how the sausage is made, right? Because we have a tendency to idealize people who are in the ministry or people who work for the church as being somehow in a different category. As a matter of fact, we even place them in a different category. We set them apart, and we call that setting apart ordination, which makes them, implies that we have a closer connection to God than other people. And as you have seen, I'll refer to this again, but as you've seen, and maybe some of you have experienced in your personal life, uh, when people in churches, lay people in churches, get to disagreeing with one another, there is nothing that can be meaner than a church fight. The other reason um, is that I didn't want to have an office here is that so many people uh, that I have seen in my counseling practice and spiritual direction practice and continue to see have had such negative experiences with the church that they have difficulty walking into a church building. And they may seem hard to believe for some of you because you evidently don't have that problem or you wouldn't be here, but there are other people who have really been traumatized by their experience with the church. Last week, in saying that we live with the illusion that we're getting all this stuff worked out, I said that 
you know, we're not the people that we were 10 years ago, nor will we, are we the people that we will be 10 years from now. Now, if that's not true for you, the only thing left on your to-do list is to get buried. Because you're dead. We are all works in progress, and we won't be five years from now who we are today. But we expect our institutions to stay that way. Now, in mystical spiritual teachings, we see what we ran into last week that I talked about the perennial philosophy. We just sort of talked about, I'm going to skim this now because it's important, but the, the perennial philosophy says that if something's true, it's always true, always has been, always will be, that there is something in us greater than we know and that we are in something greater than we know and that we are largely unknown to ourselves, all of us. And though we have this perennial wisdom in us, paradoxically, we still have to work to receive it. Aspects of the perennial tradition also include the fact that all reality is one, that nothing is to be taken literally in the spiritual world, that matter is alive in the mirror in which we see ourselves and the sacred. This is a very important principle. And that growth and becoming constitute our purpose. Now, though these things are true, have been true, always will be true, though hopefully more deeply and thoroughly understood by each generation, these are not religious. In fact, inherent in most religions is a tendency to mitigate against the last one of these, and that is ongoing growth and change. I describe myself as somebody who teaches from the edge of religion. And <clears throat> well, I can elaborate on that sometime because I've been called on the fact that I say very negative things sometimes about the church, and again, I will today about the creeds, and then I'll go over there and do it. We talk about that sometime. <laughs> it doesn't, to me, seem as hypocritical as it might look. John Dominic Crossan is the one who gave me the insight that human species we are hardwired for religion. Crossan says that we are hardwired for religion in the same way that we are hardwired to speak a language. Now, <clears throat> the language that we speak is the language that's given to us by the tribe in which we're born. So some people speak German, some speak French, some speak Italian, some speak Tennessean. The earliest archaeological evidence we have of Homo sapiens indicates that from the beginning of Homo sapiens, we have been religious. Religious rituals accompany the very earliest archaeological findings that we have. These are usually around death and <clears throat> around um, nature things like <clears throat> agricultural things, weather things, things like that. Right. So what is religion? Well, here's the definition, a definition. Religion is a range of social cultural systems, including designated behaviors and practices, morals, beliefs, worldviews, texts, sanctified places, prophecies, ethics, or organizations that generally relate humanity to supernatural, transcendent, and spiritual elements. 
There are, according to the people who study this sort of thing, 10,000 distinct religions on this globe. We just happen to be in the right one. Four religions, Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, and Hinduism. Um, Christianity also would include Judaism in my thinking here. Account for 80% of how the world's population who call themselves religious identify in one way or another. There is a debate about what the word religion means. Some say that its etymology means to tie or to bind back. Others say it means to choose carefully. The go-to scholar about religion is Houston Smith. And his book, The World's Religions, is one that ought to be in your library. He's an interesting, he was an interesting guy. He's dead now. Um, he... Very interesting fellow. He is the son of Methodist missionaries. He was born in China. He uh, was very comfortable in Hinduism, Buddhism, Eastern religions. He was involved with Timothy Leary for a while in the LSD studies that were done at Harvard. Found out that didn't work. So went elsewhere. He became a visiting professor of philosophy at MIT and was just ending his tenure there when I was at Harvard. And so I got to hear him. He would come to Harvard and give lectures. And <clears throat> he was a huge classroom, and the classes were always packed when um, he would teach. He was very, very popular. And you might remember that during that time, at least that when I was uh, uh, doing this work, uh, it was in the post-60s, just after the 60s revolution, and so much was falling apart and being reorganized in the country at that time. And it was Houston Smith, uh, I heard say, that it is better to dig one well 60 feet deep than it is to dig 10 wells 6 feet deep. And what he was arguing, and this is during a time when people were cobbling together whatever made them feel good. Take a little bit of Judaism, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Eastern religion, a little bit of Native American. Call that my faith. And he said, that's not good. You need to take a path and go as deep into that path as you possibly can. And that's been what I have chosen to do. I like to give titles to talks I give in here, and today's title is Why People, Including Us, Believe Weird Things. But I was going to start, I started titling it The Dangers of Home Cooking, because I got this idea from something one of my teachers said, who said, the one who has not traveled thinks mother is the only cook. And what that means is that it's easy to think <clears throat> that's the beliefs that we have been given by the tribe in which we were birthed and have gotten older. I'm very careful not to say grown up because most of our population is adolescent, not grown up. We're not a mature society. But at any rate, most of us fall into the belief of thinking that what our tribe has given us is the right religion. We just, as I was joking a minute ago, lucked out we got in the right one. And we, this was God's will. Our country has a psychosis about guns. As a culture... As a culture, we love guns more than people. As a culture. As a culture, we love guns more than communal well-being. Fact. They're just fact. Look at the facts. Mass shooting for every day in this calendar year. 
I heard someone say on the news when uh, confronted with that, well, you cannot interfere with my God-given right to have a gun. Now, what are you imagining me to, what are you asking me to imagine when you say that God has given you a right to have a killing machine? Or that God has given the right religion to some people but withheld it from others? Who would want anything to do with a God like that? So I want to be clear that you did hear me. Religion can harm people. Religion has harmed people, okay? Also, religion has done a world of good. Remarkably wonderful things. This gathering is a product of religion. But regardless of whether a religion harms or heals, no religion comes down from above. All religions are the product of the human societies in which those religions are practiced. Our religion is a product of the symbol, of the symbol system of the culture in which the religion grew up. There was a time, for example, in Judaism when being washed in the blood of the Lamb made sense. Doesn't make sense to me. I have nothing in my life to identify with that. In the 6th century, Greek philosopher Xenophes wrote, if horses had gods, they would like, look like horses. All right, so... In the monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, the tribal myths, patriarchy, uh, other things, are reflected in the religions. Eastern religions have many gods because that reflects their beliefs about ancestors and community. Native indigenous religions have to do with animals and nature signs because these people live closer to the earth than we do, and so forth and so on. And it isn't a matter of one religion being better than the other. They are just very different. Okay. Well, what about the Christian religion? You saw on the board reaction to that. What about the Christian religion? There isn't one. If you go to Wikipedia and look at the article on Christianity, you will see a general definition of Christianity as a religion in the Abrahamic monotheistic tradition based on the life of teachings of Jesus. And then it goes on to say, Broadly, what it is assumed that all Christians believe, that Jesus was the Son of God, who is the Messiah prophesied by the Hebrew Scriptures, and whose life is told in Christian Scripture. And the article in Wikipedia goes on to say that the Christian religion began in the first century. I would dispute that. Because until 325... There was no definition of what it meant to be Christian. And there is not now either. The recent split in the United Methodist Church is evidence that there's no one agreement about what people believe about what it means to follow Jesus. It's just a fact, right? So there was no Christianity until 325. And that's when Constantine got the leaders of the communities of Jesus followers together and got them to agree on one thing that would unify the Roman government and cause peace. And so 
At that point, the Christian movement became very political. Uh, the Christian church is organized much like the Roman Senate was organized. Even took some of their garments from Roman Senate where, what, what they wore. The church in Rome, it was a very political process. There was a church in Rome that had more money than the other churches, and that church won out, so we have the Roman Catholic Universal Church. And if unity among Christians meant killing the people who didn't agree with you, then I guess there was unification. It was bloody. So, just to be clear, there was no, quote, Christianity until the Council of Nicaea, which was not called by the church, but by a Roman emperor. And so they came up with the Nicene Creed. Now, this is incredibly important, because at this time, there was a shift from an emphasis on how people behaved and related to what they believed. Check out the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, which we use here at St. Paul's, and there is nothing in either of those creeds that says anything about what Jesus taught or did. In the Apostles' Creed, which we use, the life of Jesus is confined to a comma. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and then got crucified. Now, I want to say two things about this before we delve in deeper into the sacred stream. Number one, People say to me, I don't believe the creed as it was meant. I can't take the creed literally. We'll get into this in just a minute. But when the creed was written, nobody believed it literally. They didn't think of literal in the way we think of literal today. But <clears throat> you got to keep in mind that psychology was not factored into the writing of either of the creeds because psychology didn't exist then. People didn't have that awareness then. The science of the mind was uncharted at that time. None of the disciplines of modern science had been born when the creeds were written. So cosmology, as we now understand it, would eventually, because of this creed, be considered heresy. Okay? Number two, <clears throat> the, very, the definition of things like faith, belief, and factuality were very, very, very different from our current understanding of things. Now, the Apostles' Creed, which we use here, is even older than the Nicene Creed, which means it's just further out of touch with reality, how the world works. And yet, almost any understanding of what it means to be Christian, somebody will come up with one version of these creeds. And then the church wonders why people outside of this system don't take us as being relevant. The church has spent more time arguing about what the creeds have meant than focusing on the teachings of Jesus. Now, I'm not being chicken little here <clears throat> when I say what you're about to hear, but I'm not the first one to say it. Uh, John Shelby Spong, whose works have been the basis for a lot of talks that have uh, happened in here, done by me, by Dr. Holly Hudley, by us together. Um, we've used Spong a lot, love Spong. He died a couple of years ago. Spong spoke at least twice from this very spot in this room. This book, if you haven't read it, this book's 25 years old. 
It's like it was written yesterday. But I predict that the mainline churches, of which we are part, if we do not heed the kind of things that Spong says in this book, in two, two generations, we will be like the churches of Europe today. Sparsely attended. There are commissions in most major denominations today, including the United Methodist Church, helping churches know how to repurpose properties because they're dying. Except for a political movement known as Christian nationalism, which is about as far away from the teachings of Jesus as you can possibly get. So if people don't follow um, Houston Smith's advice of digging a well 60 feet deep and knowing about their religion, taking responsibility as every generation has for reshaping that religion, then that religion is going to ossify, grow old, get sick, and die. It's the nature of things. Now, for most people, if you ask them what it means to be Christian, they will tell you, I don't know what they will say. What would you say? For most people, it's, well, you believe in Jesus. What does that mean? Tell me in the scripture where Jesus ever said, if you want to be a follower of mine, this is what you have to believe. Show me, show me that. Somebody goes to Jesus and says, I can't walk, I can't see, I can't speak, I can't get in the community because people think I'm unclean. And Jesus says, well, okay, here's what you got to believe. Didn't do that. I see you for who you are. I see you as whole. Go live like that. Have faith in what I see in you. Go live like that. And they said, wow, okay, I think I'll follow you. The purpose of religion is to sustain in the human community the zest for life by providing meaning and direction for living. And just as all religions have come into existence as a product of human development, just so they will survive into the future by a process of continuing growth and development. So I want to say again, religion is not some special thing that floated down from God, divine intervention. People invent religions. People invent the language of religions, the symbols of religions, the rituals of religions. And folks, there's no way to go deeper into the sacred stream without letting go of the bank. And that's terrifying for some people. Just be a part of a discussion here on trying to get us to quit saying the creed. Well, I can't do that. Might upset Miss So and so. You have to die to one way of life before you get a new one. There's no path that avoids these struggles. So just remember that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. So, with your permission, and I may be entirely without it, what do people mean when they say they have faith? I have faith. Well, for many people, having faith means believing something to be true. I have faith in the Bible. I have faith in Jesus. I have faith in the virgin birth. <clears throat> so, to save you a lot of pain, I will tell you that if somebody says that to you, 
You put your relationship with them at jeopardy if you ask them to explain what they mean. Or what it is they want you to believe if you join them in having this faith. Now keep in mind, nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, I think I'll be stupid today. Uh, people who believe these things aren't stupid. They're ignorant, but they're not stupid. They have their reasons, just as you and I do, for having the reasons that we have what we believe. Two principles. Everybody's always right. Everybody's always doing the best they can. I don't get this much anymore, but people used to, after class, say, well, do you believe in the Bible? It was not an honest question. It was a test. Usually I didn't pass. By the way, this definition of faith is historically very, very recent. Maybe 500 years old. Maybe. Uh, it was the battle cry of the Reformation. Martin Luther said, the just shall live by faith. It means to believe certain things. Are you a Methodist? How do you know? Well, I believe that, blah, 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 blah. Are you a Baptist? No, I believe that. Baptism by immersion, all that. Test of orthodoxy. And then connected to this, right after this, was um, it, faith came to believe, believe in stuff you couldn't prove to be true. So our example, when the Apostles' Creed was written, it took no effort whatsoever to believe in the biblical worldview. God was up. That was it. Since Copernicus, that's been more difficult. Very recent historically. And yet progressive Christians every Sunday ask people to stand up and affirm stuff they don't believe. It's crazy. Edit that out of the text when you're putting this. <laughs> Another definition of faith is pretty much what it sounds like. It's close to faithfulness. I'm faithful to this woman who is my wife. It doesn't mean I don't just commit adultery or not commit adultery. It means I put her first. I make sure that she feels safe and first. That's faithful in a relationship. Very often, Jesus referred to people in his, around him as, you're an adulterous generation. He didn't mean they were having sex orgies. They may have been. But he meant they were not being faithful to God's vision of the world. And in Judaism, this lack of faith is called idolatry. A third meaning of faith is to have trust. <clears throat> Now, we're not trusting that something is factually true. We're trusting that the values lived and taught, in this case by Jesus, are the values that we are to live by. I trust that living by the values of love and honesty and freedom and justice are better than any other way to live. That's faith. Now, the opposite of this kind of faith, again, is not doubt. It's anxiety. Again and again, Jesus said, Oh, ye of little faith, why are you so frightened? We'll get to some of those teachings. The, this kind of faith is at the heart of mystical prophetic Judaism, by the way. And another definition of faith has to do with how we see. Because how we see determines how we respond to life. Because we see the world not so much as it is, but as we are. Remember, the content and the process of spiritual practice is around how we see. So my, my point in teaching this is that believing certain things to be true is not what faith is. But faith is having a stance in life that leads to transformation. The teaching of Jim Finley's that I keep returning to here is the one I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. And he says that if you enter into a deep period of meditation, and in that time, you're gifted with the ability to see as Jesus saw. 
when you open your eyes, what would you see? And Finley says, when you open your eyes, you would see God. Because Jesus saw God in everything, in everyone. The flowers of the field, the birds of the air, in the lepers, in storms, in everything. So why is it that we live in a culture and a world where so many people believe weird things? Well, lots of reasons. It's fun. It gets your attention. Gets you attention. Makes you feel special. By the way, <clears throat> when we get deeper into the Jesus narrative, one of the likely most valid historical episodes in the life of Jesus is that his mother, the sacred virgin Mary, and his siblings come to Jesus one day and want to take him home because they think he's nuts. So if people think that of you, you're just being like Jesus. People believe weird things for all sorts of reasons. Religious beliefs, the people who flew planes into the World Trade Center for religious beliefs. Some believe that it is God's will that Donald Trump be president. And, and, and once somebody has a belief, then they use motivational reasoning to hold on to that reasoning, to that belief, and fend off everything else. So I, I used to say at the beginning of these talks that uh, what I want you to do is to open your mind, reach in, take out all your beliefs. They're made up. You can put them back when class is over. I'm not going to take them away from you. My goal is to warp the door of your mind so it won't close anymore. Leave it open. I'm sure you're familiar with the Zen teaching story that um, the person goes to the master and says, what can you teach me? And the Zen master said, do you like tea? And the guy said, yeah. And the Zen master starts pouring tea, and the tea overflows the cup on the table on the floor. And the man said, stop, the cup is full. And the Zen master says, I know. Come back to me when you're empty. If you've already got beliefs that you're holding to like this, nothing else is going to get in. I had lunch with a dear friend a few weeks ago, and we hadn't seen each other in a long time, and he was commenting about our current political situation, and he said, I just don't see how any thinking person, and I said, stop. They're not thinking. All of us constantly look for things that confirm what we already believe. We're meaning-seeking animals. We live in a quirky, complex, contingent world that doesn't make sense, so we make stuff up to help us make sense. We make it up. We didn't understand lightning for a while, so, okay, if there's a god up there named Thor. He throws lightning bolts down. Okay, that makes sense. And people believe that. People also believe falsehoods. Alien abductions are falsehoods. It used to be that we, before the iPhone, that we had a lot of people spotting flying saucers. Usually some good old boy in Georgia would report that he'd seen a flying saucer. Since iPhones, not so much. There's not a person here who doesn't remember the murder of George Floyd. Here's how the Minneapolis Police Department reported that incident at first. Two officers arrived and located the suspect, a man believed to be in his 40s in his car. He was ordered to step from his car. After he got out, he physically resisted officers. Officers were, officers were able to get the suspect into handcuffs and noted he appeared to be suffering medical dis distress. Officers called for an ambulance. He was transported to Hennepin County Medical Center by ambulance where he died a short time later. That was the official news report. 
that was put out. But somebody had an iPhone and they saw what happened. It is heartbreaking to think how many reports like that have been given to the public that have not matched the fact. By the way, it's easier to see other people's weird beliefs than it is to see your own. I would see mine if I had any, but. People also um, believe weird things because they reject the truth. I cannot get my mind around the fact that some people believe the Holocaust didn't happen. But there are people who believe that. I have not talked to you much about Jim Marion. Um, we'll get to him sometime. I've not talked to you much about him because he's such a mystic, I think, that it might freak you out to read him. But he's a wonderful guy. His uh, book on Christ consciousness uh, was um, influenced by his reading of um, Carl Jung, and it's his book um, on putting on the mind of Christ that's had such an influence on me. Very enriching book. At any rate, and this is one of the reasons I want to scream. Um, grow up! To some folks, um, Marion has a very useful model for understanding human development that I know you've heard a lot of different models. I promise you, I don't think you've heard this one. I'll give it to you really quickly. First, there's what Marion calls archaic consciousness, and this begins when the infant um, is differentiating the infant's body from that of his mother's and uh, differentiating the infant's emotion from that of his mother's. We're born experiencing this kind of wholeness, but this, our original unity began to get fractured because our demands that the world respond to us the way we want to don't get met, so we fall away from that. We're pulled out of paradise. Then there's magical consciousness. This is usually... Between ages two and seven, it's where most tribal cultures live. There's mythic consciousness. This usually lasts till we're about 14. This is the law and order stage. Here's where Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and the Sky God play a part. They work miracles. If you're a good boy, you'll get presents. If you're bad, God will send you to hell. So people who are at this level see people at other religions as being evil or bad or wrong. And this is where most monotheistic religions today are stuck, at this level. And then there's rational consciousness, and to get here requires work like this. It requires a willingness to die to one former way of seeing things, and you don't get new birth immediately. You usually have to lay in the tomb several days. Dark night of the soul. Most people who have graduated from institutes of higher learning are at this level. And we sometimes get accused of living in Abbey Towers and not being understanding the real world, right? And then there's the vision, logic, consciousness, and here people are more grounded within themselves and have what might be called global consciousness. And things like race, skin color, sexual orientation, national origin, don't concern these folks. These are people who, when they go in a restaurant, wants to see what's on a menu they haven't had. Right? They delight in diversity. And then there's psychic consciousness, this is what Jim Finley refers as mystic knowing, and then and in Marion's model is Christ consciousness, which has nothing to do with Jesus, but we'll get to that. You don't get here without the dark night of the soul, without the temptation experiences, which we talked about last week. Now, I don't know where you are on this model. We all like to think 
we're higher than we are. Like we all like to think we're above average drivers. My hope for people who are part of ordinary life is that we are at the vision logic level, at least. And the reason that we hang on to previous levels is because we're frightened of being excised from our community. Uh, we're frightened of not belonging. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Up until the time that the Jesus movement became a belief system, and Jesus got reduced to a comma. Jesus was not considered to be some great exception to humanity. Jesus was considered to be the identity of any person who made the journey in love. Jesus was not someone to believe in. Jesus is somebody to be like. One's relationship with Jesus didn't keep that person out of hell, but rather empowered that person to live in heaven on earth. And he called that the kingdom of God, the community of empowerment, which I think we are only beginning to understand, get a hint of, to reimagine in our own time. And this required mindfulness. This required Mindful living, that's one of the values of having a daily spiritual practice. And we are mindful. I'll give you an example. We're going to go across after this and worship in the 11 o'clock worship, and uh, maybe you've already done that, maybe you won't do that, but you'll go to a wedding or you'll go to a funeral or God no forbid you'll go to a sporting event in Texas. And you'll get to repeat the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, how to be the name, blah, 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 blah. Thy will be done. Really? What's God's will? So <clears throat> we show up on some Sunday morning. And notice, um, and Wayne Herbert isn't here. Where's Wayne? Oh, man, didn't you hear? God's will was done in his life. Oh, man, you don't mean it. He's just a nice guy, too. I just saw him last week. He seemed okay to me. He just never know. Thy will be done. What does that mean? Well, if we take our clue from evolutionary cosmology, God's will is to recognize the unity of everything that is and to live in harmony with that. We have been given this precious opportunity to be the cosmos reflecting back on itself. What are we doing with that? Is it God's will that we destroy our habitat? Or is it God's will that we live in harmonious integration with the reality of everything being connected. Or, in the language of that Jewish mystic Jesus, who was in the prophetic tradition of his religion, to love one another as I have loved you. No matter where you go this week, no matter what happens, remember this, you carry precious cargo, so watch your step, and hope to see you here next week. Thank you. Thank you.